Hey, Freedom Fighters, welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast, the only place where military members, veterans, and their families learn how to build wealth through real estate investing. I'm your host, Mike Foster, and I'm here to show you how to stop wasting your benefits. Now get off your ass, step up to the firing line, and make ready for today's lesson. Shooter, stand by. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast. We have another really, really awesome guest here today. His name is Alex Cornell DeHue, and he is a former Marine officer and now currently working as the president and co-founder of Elected Officials to Protect America. What's going on, Alex? How are you doing? Oh, it's great. Thanks for inviting me on. Thanks so much for coming on here. We really appreciate your, uh, your, your time. We know that you are a very, very busy guy. Um, we were chatting a little bit earlier about you know half the things you have going on, but uh, really excited uh, for you to give us a little bit of your experience and um, just kind of share with us what you've been able to do while you've been slowly building wealth. Uh, now, for those of you guys who don't know, Alex um, you know, is not an investor by trade, but he has bought property and he's going to share with us an awesome message on why you know you can use real, or I'm sorry on how you can use real estate to really just further your career and have fun in life instead of just you know worrying to buy the next property and buy the next property right a lot of times we talk about this need for scaling up but sometimes you don't have to you can just be content um, so Alex really excited to have you here man and uh, do you mind just giving us a little bit about your military background and then you know how you bought your first property yeah absolutely uh- so uh, I joined the, the Marine Corps pretty much straight out of high school. I grew up in Solon, Maine, a uh, town of 940 people. And uh, the Marines offered uh, a great opportunity to see something else besides just that. Although now coming back to Maine, it is the most wonderful place, especially in the summer and uh, fall. And uh, being a young grunt, uh, honestly, didn't even realize there were other MOSs out there besides the, like, joining the military and being an 0351 assault when they shoot rockets. And I'm uh, kind of remissing there. It might be uh, removing the uh, assault man MOS, actually, of the Marine Corps. Um, but I spent a good seven years doing that, um, deployed out to Fallujah and whatnot, and came back, and I was elected to the Maine State Legislature. Um, wow. and a lot of the uh, reasons why I ran for office, actually, is when I was deployed, um, my vehicle was hit by a roadside bomb, but fortunately, the guy who did it wasn't very good at his job. And so we caught him, um, tied him up, put him back to the Humvee, and then started our investigation and found out he had been paid by Al-Qaeda to plant the roadside bomb because his crops had failed completely. Wow. Um, and uh, at the same time, I began to realize there was a record-setting drought happening. So I started putting the pieces together. I was like, Okay, uh, issues of climate change and water security uh, were really affecting people all around the world, and I was experiencing firsthand half a world away. Um, and so I decided, okay, what can I do about this? Uh, combined with the GI Bill being completely uh, inadequate at the time, and those two issues uh, got me elected to the state legislature in Maine. And uh, the interesting thing about the legislature is just uh, it was wonderful to work with a lot of veterans there and work in a really bipartisan manner. Um, so I was able to pass actually just about the same amount of legislation under an all-Republican 
administration as an all democratic administration and legislature too. Um, because a lot of veterans, um, we see policy and the mission is larger and more important than some of the party and the politics, which was at least in Maine, a wonderful experience. Um, wow. But the Secretary of State also uh, was a Navy commander. And uh, he uh, and the Adjutant General uh, wanted me to get a commission. And so I was like, okay, but I'm a little busy right now. I can't disappear for a year and <laughs> um, uh, do some training. Oh, there would be some, some good training. Uh, and so they made a cardboard cutout of me and uh, called it Flat Alex and put it on the House Speaker's rostrum and said, if you don't take a commission, yeah, like, if you don't take a commission, we are going to commission Flat Alex. And I was like, okay, sir, you got me. And the next day, um, Commander Summers, now Captain Summers, uh, had the recruiter in his office. And um, I applied for a DCO school or direct commission um, and was fortunate to receive one. Um, so I continue, I'm still in the Navy reserve now, uh, went to the dark side, but, uh, oh, man. uh it was a good place to be actually after the commission and being able to now do public affairs, um, around the world. Um, and the unit I'm in right now is, is a pretty great unit. I've done everything from in the last three years, um, Alaska, Hawaii, uh, Korea, Japan, Argentina, um, and Afghanistan. Um, so they've, uh, they've kept me busy, but it's been a absolutely worthwhile experience. That's awesome, man. That is really, really cool. sounds like you've gotten to, uh, to really do a lot, you know, from, from that side of the house now. Uh, and it seems like this passion, you know, started back when you were in Afghanistan and is now blossomed to something that you're doing here. That's fulfilling your life. That's, that's incredible. We'll get that opportunity. (laughs) I've been very fortunate in that respect. And the the interesting thing about it, like we'll get a little bit of the water security issues um, here, I'm sure. But wherever I was deployed in in many of these places, um, a similar theme would pop pop up. Um, So when I was in Bahrain, um, a bit of Manama Nama, um, Bahrain's an (laughs) island yeah, those of you who have been there will understand. Yep. <laughs> um, That's why I'm laughing. Yep. <laughs> um, actually, as a car's deployments, it's not a bad place. Uh, but uh, the kind of tragic thing is, it was the first place in the Middle East to really strike oil. And <clears throat> it did well, and it really helped the economy there. But unfortunately, um, they punctured their aquifer that was underneath there while building the causeway to Saudi Arabia and drilling for oil. And the irony is Bahrain means two uh, oceans. One is the ocean around it, obviously, um, and one was the ocean underneath it. And all the ships, it was traditionally a shipping stopping point to fill their fresh water. Um, and sadly, I mean, I'm talking with some of the locals there, they would grow up and they'd swim in these ponds. And actually, they it wouldn't swim in one of them because they're superstitious about someone drowning there. But the other one, they would like hang out all the summer, part of the winter. Um, but now it's just kind of a two mud puddles, um, kind of popping up now and then. And so, it's an area where you have a minority ruling a majority population, but it's adding to the instability of the water insecurity. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And following up in Afghanistan, I mean, at the Battle of Farah. 
I mean, the Taliban actually tweeted out, we're taking the city for the water. Um, so the, the issue of water security um, has been one that's I've been able to experience in many different places around the world and uh, concerning to me because we're bringing it back to the U.S. in a lot of ways. Um, we were talking about uh, Saudi Arabia. Um, this gets back to the real estate side here, right? Um, they're buying up a lot of land in the U.S. Uh, with uh, water rights on it. And uh, that's a pretty good investment, I'd say. Uh, but the unfortunate thing is, uh, for the U.S., is they're buying it up in areas where, for instance, there's an 18-year drought. And they plant alfalfa, which is the second most water-intensive crop, um, aside from rice, and then ship that back to Saudi Arabia to feed uh, over about 200,000 cows. Um, and unfortunately, in Saudi Arabia, they've lost about 80% of their water uh, due to mismanagement and climate um, change. What? So, Whoa. yeah, so it's, it's, they, they have some uh, pretty severe water issues there. Um, so they're relying a lot on desalinization and other factors. They had to really reverse sectors because they, they used to grow a lot, uh, but it was unsustainable. Uh, right. So now they're looking at like U.S. and other places. And they're buying um, land in the U.S. to to ship water back to their country. Yeah, uh, just to be clear, it, it would, it, they're shipping the alfalfa, which is so much cheaper to ship than the water itself. Oh, right? Okay, got it. Yeah, so, so I'm curious, like, how is that working? But they're so alfalfa got it. Okay, and and just so to be clear, uh, like, well, can you explain what that is one more time? Like, so yeah, so. Um, it, it, from an economical state, right, it's a lot easier to plant it in the U.S. and grow the alfalfa, which is super water intensive. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a grass feed that's mainly fed the cows. Okay. Um, and so they grow it here and essentially ship it straight back to Saudi Arabia to feed their cows. And obviously, it's a lot lighter to do that than put it in um, oil tankers, so to speak, of, and ship the water directly. Um and you'll see that there's a great, um, actually, research program at the University of Arizona um, where they're mapping the water, food, and energy flows around the U.S. and essentially how virtual water is flowing in the economy. And it, it, there's some really neat maps there you can watch and see how um, much water intensive a lot of things we take for granted are and how whether or not the alfalfa may not seem like it's water, but it, essentially it is. We're shipping um, <coughs> that product um, right. that in one place alone, they can extract 2.3 million gallons a day. It's unregulated. Um, That's intense. Yeah. So I, from my point of view, I think a foreign entity uh, government should not be allowed to take us water in an unsustainable manner. Yeah, so that sounds it, that sounds crazy. And uh, one of the one of the things that we've talked about before is you know this whole idea of veterans buying America, you know, so we can own more of it. This almost gives even more of a reason too, you know, so that way we don't have foreign entities stealing our resources. Uh, I, you know, I, I was talking to someone the other day about um, you know the Chinese and how they've you know, purchased real estate or bought certain, you know, trucking businesses and whatnot to um, harbor a lot of the steel, right, that we that we um, manufacture and, and ship it out to their country as well. So that's really crazy hearing this. 
And so you said in places like Arizona, right? Like, so like Arizona, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Nevada, like areas that that's where they're finding most of this alfalfa. Yeah. Arizona and California particularly, mm-hmm. um, which is really ironically sad because the, that's where we've had some historic droughts. And um, unfortunately, the models predict will continue. Um, and, uh, but on the flip side, there's some, like you said, some really great solutions out there. Uh, particularly, I mean, Americans buying American land and protecting it because we have a long-term interest in ensuring that it's sustainable and is helping the local economy, which feeds into the national economy um, for forever, right? For the U.S. Whereas unfortunately, an, uh, a foreign entity or government, they don't have that incentive. Um, they're looking globally where they, where they can make the quickest profit necessarily, and they don't need to be concerned about this. Uh, and the ironic thing is they're doing to the, um, really the Southwest, what they did to themselves um, in Saudi Arabia. So it's not like they don't know exactly what they're up to. I mean, in some places, the water tables, I mean, I was told drop 50 feet in one place. Um, That's however, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, there are some cool local solutions that feed into this, that really tap into uh, the market to uh, change things. Um, the, there's a farm there that paired up um, with some uh, organizations and investors, and uh, they decided, you know what, alfalfa takes a tremendous amount of water to grow. Why don't we figure out, let's, let's plant barley, but let's create a market for that barley. And, uh, what they realize is uh, the craft beer market is taking off across the U.S., but it really hadn't touched Arizona. So they created a malt house, uh, which then supported the craft beer industry and by planting the barley instead of alfalfa. And they, so they created a whole new industry that it's, it's thriving there, which was wonderful to see. So uh, nice. supporting local beer in uh, Arizona is a great way to... Um, uh, keep uh, America's resources uh, in America and also really create the sustainability and uh, long-term needed um, economic success in the area. That is absolutely amazing. All right, guys. So you hear that? Go support American breweries. All right. <laughs> they are saving our resources from uh, outside and foreign entities. I love it. I love it. I'm going to go buy some beer later on today. <laughs> awesome particularly uh the mall house in Arizona would be great when they visit um you could there's a if, if you're interested more in this you could there's a quick we made a video um on it with a investigative journalist and a day um and that's at uh, codebluewater.org um or protectingamerica.net we'll have those videos up there okay awesome yeah we'll make sure that there are links to those in the show notes page. Um, so yeah, make sure you guys go and take a look at that. Cause that, that definitely sounds amazing. Nice. Yeah. That is that's um, pretty, pretty cool. So thanks so much for sharing that. Now I, I want to see, want to see if we can talk a little bit about your, um, you know, maybe some of your accomplishments, what you've been able to do, you know, with this passive income coming in, you know, you, so you bought a property, it's been sitting there. Um, you, you said you rented it out, right? Um, you know, I don't know if you remember any numbers, you know, from that, that property at all, if you have it on, on hand, but you know, how much, 
um, how much has that been paying, you know, paying off your mortgage and um, maybe how long you've had it and, and what you've been able to do since you've, since you've had it. Right. Cause I mean, it's literally just sitting there and, and, you know, you got a renter that's paying you money every single month. It's awesome. You know, now you have yeah. passive income growing and, and that's great. Well, it, the really unique thing of the GI bill and having a, a very steady check every month, um, I mean, steady in the term, it's, it's, it's historically, right? You maybe yeah. have a federal government shutdown now and then, but historically, yeah. it's <laughs> one of the most uh, reliable income checks you can get, along with the really good benefits in retirement. So military, um, we have such an advantage to be able to create passive income that other branches and um, the civilian world don't have. Um, I was fortunate to be talking with someone when I was at Deployed um, who was kind of explaining me the, uh, the numbers. And I was like, wow, this stuff really does add up to um, very, with very little effort overall. Um, so I got back uh, to Maine um, I'm, and I was like, started looking for a house. Because with the VA, G, uh, VA loan, I mean, the down payment be at, Obviously, it's good to put down something, um, but you can basically have nothing as a down payment and find a property that um, is an increasing area. And the great thing is everyone has to live somewhere. So real estate long-term is a good investment. There you go. And I found a place, um, did the due diligence on it. And uh, ironically, I was uh, deployed out to Bahrain again. I uh, gave my lawyer the power of attorney and he did all the paperwork and closed on it. And the nice thing is I've owned it um, about less than five years and it's already increased by $13,000 in the property value. Nice. Um, nice. So it's that in itself. And the being able to rent it out covers the mortgage. Uh, so in my case, the numbers really worked out um, pretty well because it, I'm not making any money necessarily off of it but it covers the mortgage, which means I'm actually, I'm making money because I'm getting equity and long-term that's going to be uh, extremely valuable because I can leverage that for other projects that I might work on. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's one of those amazing benefits, you know, that comes along with it. You know, I mean, not only do you get that, um, you know, the tax benefits, you know, you get, the steady, you know, checks, the rental checks, you know, coming in each month, but you also, right, have that appreciation that maybe in 30 years you decide you want to renovate your own house. You know, you can borrow that equity out of your rental property and, you know, continue to, to, you know, rent it out. So the mortgage is covered and now you can make renovations for your own home. Or if you want to, you know, buy another house, you could do that whatever, whatever the case may be. That's, that's yeah. good. That's awesome. And then uh, oh, there's very neat partnerships you can be a part of too, um, uh, like the one that you're running um, exactly. And then there's some neat programs like uh, I've been helping out a great charity called Camis and Canines um, that takes homeless veterans, trains them for six months, and then pairs them with homeless dogs and trains them too. So it creates that bond, uh, which is really great because unfortunately a lot of homeless veterans never uh, got there in a lot of places because they never had someone to really love them. And that bond between the canines and uh, the veterans is uh, one that is really unique and they both really save each other in a lot of ways. 
Um, but in that co broader context, they have a land of eight, 289 acres outside of San Diego. So we've been working on a project there um, to create a water, food, and energy circular economy where it's, creates, it's more economical um, and do a housing development there that supports the veterans, supports the local community, but also creates uh, the passive income for the charity to keep going. So there, there are unique projects all over the U.S. that um, could become a part of. Um, and it really just finding one that uh, can create that passive income um, that's reliable and uh, where you can take a risk in certain areas, but really you're taking a very little risk when you have a VA loan um, to be able to invest that, and um, particularly when you're with an organization who has a track record of doing something uh, long term. Right, exactly, man. That's that's really cool. Do you mind talking a little bit more about that organization or that um sorry that project that you're working on out in California? That sounds really interesting. We've uh, we've spoken to a few people, um, you know, about the homeless veteran front. We actually have a good partnership with the National Coalition for Homeless Vets, and um, and they've introduced us to some really awesome people uh, that are doing amazing things in the homeless veteran front. So really curious, um, you know, just to find out a little bit more about that. So so this um, project, right? So you said it's a big piece of land. It's out in uh, California, and you, you said, is it, so is it, is it housing in particular or is it like a, like a mobile home community? Like what, what exactly does it look like? Well, it's a, it's a really beautiful piece of land. Actually, it's about half an hour outside of San Diego. Um, is it, and it has like actually a number of different places. It's zoned for a lot of agriculture because there's a winery next door. Okay. Um, or not a winery, but a vineyard. Mm -hmm. Um, and they also have a section for uh, mobile homes and they have uh, five buildings on it too that are um, multifamily. Nice. Uh, and so some of those need uh, renovating and some of them are really good shape. Um, and there's an opportunity for the um, homeless veterans to have a certain section of that where they can provide essentially many houses uh, that could create sustainable housing um, as they go through the training program, but also um, a certain, there's plenty of land there to have a section where it's a single family home, multifamily home, um, and upgrading the current housing structures that are there. Um, but doing it in a way that, for instance, um, I don't know if you have the term circular economy, right now a lot of our um, waste, for instance, um, is linear. We buy something, we use it, and it gets disposed. Uh, but that's actually not the most efficient way to do things. If we can create a circular economy where that waste is put back into the economy, then you're creating actually more jobs and um, keeping the resources going. Um, so, And there's really neat technologies that range from what is already very well proven, like solar, um, atmospheric water generators, and other as many houses that we can do this. And that one of them is a, uh, a waste system um, that takes a lot of the palm waste out of around San Diego and turns that into good organic fertilizer, which holds a lot more water, uh, creates better produce and whatnot. Uh, but also we can take that palm and grind it into the housing material instead of making hempcrete, it would be palmcrete. 
and using that as a building material there. And some of the veterans about, uh, working and create some of the uh, mini houses itself. So it's really neat how uh, all these areas are flowing in each into each other uh, for the project. I was still at the super early stages um, and actually looking for uh, investors to continue on with it, but uh, exciting uh, project to be a part of. That's impressive. Um, that really is. And so when you're talking about this training program, is this training for the homeless veterans to so, sort of reassimilate back into society? Or is this training for them to maybe take on some of the construction uh, projects that's going on in this? So it kind of gives them a job. Yeah, it's kind of it's somewhat both. The interesting thing is a lot of veterans have skills. Um, mm -hmm. uh, that we've gained over the time in the military. So we find that a lot of the vets there have the skill to actually do a lot of the construction themselves. Um, it's a matter of, so uh, the core training itself is set up so that it's uh, focused on emotional intelligence and leadership. Um, because a lot of the, the programs out there for veterans um, and do a really good job is like, here's how to get your resume in order. Here's how to get this in order and whatnot. Um, but a lot of them don't address kind of the underlying causes that led them to get there. So what limiting beliefs were created? Um, so limiting belief can be created from a traumatic event that happened in your, someone's life. And then what that does, that belief system kind of goes into your subconscious and then creates actions. And then uh, those actions we then, uh, based on emotions, um, so really the limiting belief followed by the emotion and the emotion drives an action. And so getting kind of the clarity for some of the veterans to understand that in a process where they're working together um, or other things like victim and responsible. So like, hey, I'm responsible for where I am now and realizing that. How do you move yourself out of it uh, rather than like, hey, it was me. So that's in a very generic sense of some of the training programs that are there um, to create a context where like, no, hey, I'm going to get this resume done. I'm going to do this. And then I'm committed to, hey, maybe there'll be a job there um, on the site actually itself, or maybe there'll be a, a wonderful job in San Diego or other part of the U.S. Um, so it's really empowering the veterans um, wow. through a shared sense of purpose and mission combined with building their emotional intelligence to uh, get out of the cycle of homelessness. That's impressive, man. That really is. Um, that sounds really phenomenal and would love to, you know, learn a little bit more about that project. Um, you know, if there's any material that we can grab from you and you know, put that on the show notes and make that available for folks if they're listening here, especially if anyone's interested in looking at a creative investment, that that might be something you want to look into. Um, Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll shoot you all the information for sure. Um, yeah. So that's been an exciting project uh, to be a part with. Um, and it's a lot of, um, uh, it's neat to see the neat opportunities there are out there for veterans. Um, and kind of going along with that, we have a partnership uh, with the veterans campaign and the university of San Francisco too, um, where uh, Craig Newmark, um, was generous to give us a, a very large gift to help any veterans who are interested in public service too. Um, and so we have a master's degree at the University of San Francisco in public leadership. 
Um, so if any veterans and military families, um, if you're interested in that as well, <clears throat> it's a master's program that um, I helped create with Seth Lynn and a number of other very talented professors um, at the uh, university. And it really engages um, particularly veterans if you want to run for office or you want to start a nonprofit or you want to start an organization. Um, it really goes through all the different steps to continue your service from military service to public service or community service. That's amazing. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. all right. <laughs> that sounds really awesome. And, uh, and I, I know that that's going to speak to, you know, some folks in the community they, we've had some folks mention about, you know, the, the, the need at looking to start, um, some kind of nonprofit. Uh, as a matter of fact, we may even have someone in the team reach out to you, Alex, because, you know, we're, we're in the we're in the ground phase of building this program called ADPI helps, which is, you know, something that we're looking to do to help out folks in um, that are, you know, facing substance abuse, facing PTSD, you know, facing issues that they've they've had holding them back, and and we're we're looking to give back in that that regard. So we may Wonderful. we may be talking very soon. <laughs> I, I I love the Czech program. The reason that yeah. uh, came to mind is because Kalani Hertzberg, who founded Camis and Canines, mm -hmm. um, he's joined the program, and it's uh, been wonderful to kind of that synergetic relationship of the skills you learn from, hey, how do you actually fundraise and pitch a, um, a major done, uh, funder? Right. Or like, how do you effectively pitch um, an investor? And I mean, a lot of the natural things when we think about pitching an investor is like, hey, here's my really cool project. And like, it's done, it really makes an impact. And um, here's how much money you can make back. And we see this on Shark Tank and some other places. Um, but the reality is people don't invest and they don't donate to causes because they're seeing, hey, here are the facts and figures of what it does. They're investing because they see a shared connection, a shared value, a shared emotional connection in what you're doing. Um, so really, if you're if pitching someone correctly, um, you're pitching to their emotions um, and creating a shared sense of value and shoots prosperity with them, as opposed to like, hey, here's all the cool stuff of what I'm doing. Um, I would definitely check out if you haven't done it, Simon Sinek's uh, good podcast, Why Before What? And, <clears throat> and then illustrating why it's important to talk about value and the why and the emotional connection before the what. And it kind of goes back to... Um, take two seconds because it relates really well um if you've heard of be do have versus have to be and um most yeah. things in the world are uh yeah it, it's an interesting uh phenomenon where things are marketed to us as you if i have something then i do something with it and i'll be happy so if i have my brand new tesla i'll drive ludicrous speeds and i'll be happy <laughs> right which would be fine i mean <clears throat> but then you know what? I, I kind of want the one with the wings next, um, and it, and it's designed that way in the uh, marketing world because it's designed to be disposable. But the problem is, if you want to create a long-term relationship with an investor, or if you have a nonprofit, or you have a company where you're building that base long-term, you actually have to flip it, <clears throat> and where it's be do have. The B is the way of being, the vision, the value statement, the emotions, 
that you're connecting with the audience with and you do something and then you have a result. And this was exactly what Apple did when they first came out. Um, they didn't have like the substantially different computers. They had a vision that everyone was, uh, should have a computer, not just the stuffy people with suits and ties. Um, and they did something to make computers and we have a result. Ironically, now they're the big guys. Um, there you go. And uh, you look at Dr. King. He didn't have a five-point plan. He had a dream. He had a vision that he embodied it. He connected on that vision through good storytelling. And then we have a result. The civil rights act, the voting rights act. Um, and honestly, the best way to convey that vision and um, shared values is pretty much everything um, is organized around shared values. We're thinking about real estate people live in more conservative areas more liberal areas values more sustainable housing community religious organizations have shared values the military honor courage and commitment and i mean the army has a ton of them too which are too long to mention um but uh I, it's a joke for the army but uh <laughs> and then they would say the marine corps can't memorize all the rest right um, uh, yep eating crayons <laughs> <laughs> but uh the point is like we coalesce around shared values so you connect on those shared values create an emotional con uh, connection through a stories which imprint themselves faster in the brain and facts and figures combine it with the facts and figures to create that credibility show how your investment is unique and then make the ask um is a much more effective way to pitch something than saying Hey, here's what I'm doing. It's going to make uh, you money. Love it. I love it. You know, you break it down that psychology of the pitch and, and that's, uh, that's definitely important. Um, and guys, you know, definitely take notes because, you know, this is, this is something that you need to remember. You want to make sure that you're understanding who your investors are and what it is that they are looking, you know, for when they're goal you know, in their goals um, you know, you don't want to sell a single family home to a multifamily investor, right? So you got to understand what it is they're looking for and be able to convey to them through your story, right? And that emotional connection to the investment, you know, how it's going to help them accomplish what it is they're looking for. So that's, that's really good. Alex, appreciate that, man. Um, really, really good reminder. Great. So we've covered a couple of things here. Yeah, we've we've covered a lot. <laughs> we've covered a lot of different uh, different ground here, and uh, and I love it. Uh, I really appreciate your time here. We're actually getting here towards the end. Um, I want to take you into the bonus round real quick. If that's okay. I've got three uh, personal questions. Uh, actually, four now. I upgraded. You know, it's four personal questions here, uh, just so our folks can kind of get to know uh, you a little bit more. But um, the first one is, what's your favorite book? Oh, favorite book. That's such a, uh, I mean, it's yeah. a rough question, right? Yep. So, um, I don't know. I, just, I recently finished Treasure Island. Okay. And that was, uh, I mean, from the fiction side, um, that it, it, I mean, I'm a Navy Marine Corps family. It's, it's a lot of fun to read, right? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I will say, if you wanted to analyze a book that is fiction that relates very cleverly to marketing, um, the Hunger Games are is very, a lot of underlying um, how to 
manipulate society through marketing and um, communications. Wow. Um, okay. So basically, it's like using the tool of public affairs to control a society is very much uh, built into the book. Maybe not so much the movie, um, uh, which is uh, a, a fascinating. Uh, see how the author put that together. Right. Right. Um, I that is that is a good point, man. I think I remembered loving the books way more than the movies. And uh I think it right that that like crazy psychological game between, you know, the the president, right? And then of course the the participants in the game. That was that was pretty cool. So all right. Nice. Love it. Love it. There will be links to both those in the show notes page. Uh also uh num- question number two. Um uh, I'm sorry, who is your biggest hero and why? Ah, that's a, another good question. Yeah, man. Um, it's a good question. So, uh, I'd say um, Fornish Senate Majority or Majority Leader George Mitchell. Um, he uh, has accomplished so much in his life that has made a real impact on people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, he grew up in Maine, um, uh, basically... His dad was a janitor. He was working at Colby College. He went to boat in my alma mater. Um, and then eventually became uh, someone who was able to create lasting peace in Northern Ireland. And his ability to be able to connect people with different views and opinions and values um, for a shared vision, and not in Northern Ireland, but also working with the Red Sox but, and working... Um, in the education field um, is really unique and really inspiring. And one of his really neat legacies, um, I became a Mitchell scholar um, with this program is a scholarship program that he set up to help um, students, uh, particularly across real Maine and other places um, to break out of that cycle of poverty and into the education system where they could have, the advantages um, that a lot of other people have. And whether he was, and he was doing this at the same time, um, he was working with Fortune 500 companies or solving a piece in Northern Ireland. And so the grounding he had between keeping that larger vision, but also helping the local community at the same time, and um, always being there to help wherever he can uh, and make an impact, is really inspiring to me. So the combination between the public service and the um, uh, community service and uh, work in the corporate world is a really neat uh, success route that he's had that's helped a lot of people. That's awesome, man. That is awesome. Love that. Absolutely love that. All right. Uh, Question number three, what do you like to do for fun? Uh, So I love photography. I love astronomy. um, And I love uh, going to hike uh, and um, swim in the, uh, like the natural environments and nature. So I guess uh, if I were to go out and go on a nice hike and then set up my camera and take some photos of the night sky, um, that, that's a lot of fun. And maybe the next morning jump in a lake um, or a river around there. So that's, it's relaxing. Um, I've, I've traveled a, of 150,000 miles last year. I'm almost up to 100,000 this year already. So whenever I get a time to just kind of uh, relax there, um, it's it's definitely a wonderful place to recharge with. 
uh, and getting grounded again. Good, good stuff. All right. Um, the final question, what three nuggets of wisdom would you leave for those who are just getting started? Um, so the first one is find something that you're really passionate about it. What's your vision? What do you care about? What, um, gives that you, this, this happy feeling when you're able to, when you accomplish it, right? Mm-hmm. What's that long-term vision, that passion you have, that goal? Um, sometimes it takes a while to find it. And sometimes it just appears. But once that, that's there, following that vision and being clear and intentional about it um, is the second bit, right? So the, find the vision and be very intentional. Because when you have clear intention, uh, creativity follows and results happen. Um, so sometimes, a lot of the time, we don't know how we're going to do something. But the clear intention is there. Right? Yeah. Um, sometimes I don't. I was given the task of raising over $100,000 for a charity with a team in a week. I didn't know how I was going to do that. Um, and at the same time I was training the state department for most of that week. So I had very little free time to do it. Um, but my intention was crystal clear. I'm going to bring that team over the finish line and I'm, we are going to help St. Jude's children's hospital raise over that hundred thousand. And the interesting thing is the creativity just kind of flowed when that clear intention was there. I enrolled the Uber driver to give me 20 bucks and then on the flight attendant, she said no at first, but I kept going, found something that we kind of shared values on. She gave me 20 bucks, gave me a ton of mini bottles. I brought the mini bottles to the State Department and auctioned those off. <laughs> got a bunch of money there, right? Nice, nice. Got, got nice. So I would have never thought of those ideas, for instance, but they happened because I had that clear intention to, for that shared and very clear vision that I wanted. There you go. Um, and so, and then the third thing is, um, uh, making sure there's a balance in um, work, life, education, health, creativity, right? Sometimes we can get focused too much on like, okay, this is something like this investment is my entire life or this project I'm working on. And what happens, our health sometimes suffers and our relationships suffer and other things. Right. But the interesting thing is, because we're human, it's all connected. So long-term, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So long-term, it's sometimes better to take that extra half an hour and go work out and uh, go to the gym or go to yoga or stretch or something um, than it is to sacrifice that all the time because you're more productive. Um, even sleep, um, making sure if you're faster and more productive, if you have a good night rest, then you're actually doing more, more effectively in a short amount of time. So not sacrificing sometimes short-term gains for that long-term vision and effort um, and being able to create that balance between your creativity, your health, your relationships, and work together, kind of making that 360 right. um, to be the long-term. And that starts with creating good habits too. Love that. Absolutely love that, man. Thank you so much for that wisdom. That's absolutely phenomenal. Um, Alex, thank you for your time. Really appreciate having you on the show. 
Uh, we've definitely learned a lot here and we look forward to staying in touch with you. Um, how can our listeners get a hold, uh, get a hold of you or get in touch with you and your group? Uh, yeah, so there's a number of ways, um, alexcornell.org um, or protectingamerica.net um, are two good places to learn um, more about some of the projects I'm working on. So just protectingamerica.net and uh, just shoot me, a, shoot me an email and I'll list uh, that email at the podcast here. So more than happy to help anyone who's in the veteran community particularly. Outstanding. Well, you guys, you heard it here. Definitely reach out to Alex and his team. They're doing amazing things out there to protect America. And, um, and thank you so much again, man, for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. All right. All right. Take care. Outstanding. That was an awesome episode. Thanks so much to our special guests and thanks to you for listening. If you haven't hit the subscribe button yet, make sure you go and do that or schedule a call with us by texting ADPI to 444-999 or checking out our website at www.activedutypassiveincome.com to find out how you can get started on your financial freedom journey today. I'll see you guys next week.